Today there is some talk uh, as to discerning the events of the last days with all that is going on in the world right now, with all the things that we see in our culture in these days, with the recent things going on in Israel, people are wondering, are we in the last days? How soon is Jesus coming again? And it seems they're trying to figure out where we are on some sort of timeline. You may be one of those people, you're seeing all of these signs, you're watching the current events, and you're wondering, how soon is Jesus coming again? Well, today I can tell you there are many signs that we are told to look for in Scripture, and I can tell you that there are many of those signs that we find are being fulfilled right now. But I believe there is one sign that trumps them all. There is one sign that outweighs them all. And I, I believe this one sign tells us this morning the return of Jesus for his church and the ushering in of the events of these last days is right upon us. It is imminent today as we meet. And that sign is not just the rejection of the truth, that has always happened. It's not just the hatred of the truth that uh, has always existed, but that sign is the embracing and the worship of the lies of Satan. Friends, listen very carefully. I believe in no greater scale in the history of the earth have people been found reveling in and celebrating and embracing the lies of Satan as they are in our day. Paul said, for a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Friends, the great sign of the end of the age, I believe, is the love of the lies of Satan. And I want to tell you this morning, we are now in those days. This morning, our message is entitled, The Sham Trinity and Their Gospel of Lies. The Sham Trinity and Their Gospel of Lies. Today we have moved to the 13th chapter of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 13. Today we're going to look at the entire chapter, verses 1 through 18. The Sham Trinity and Their Gospel of Lies. Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. God's word says this, beginning in the first verse, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. 
It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we are thankful today. We're thankful for your goodness shown to us. We're thankful for your grace shown to us. We're thankful for the rain that we hear falling outside. We praise you, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for your word that is truth. Lord, we're thankful that we can come as your people. We can come and we can can walk away from our shame and our guilt and we can wear the righteousness of a risen lamb, Jesus. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. We're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity on this day to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. And I I pray that it would be a supernatural event. I pray that our, our ears and our and our minds and our hearts will be open to receive. I pray that we'd be ready to walk with faithful feet. And I pray, Lord, that it's a tremendous time that we hear from you. Lord, I pray for many that do not know you, some of them in this room, some of them listening in other ways. I pray that in the hearing of a, of a good news, of a gospel, of your grace, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. I pray that any hindrance to that would be removed. Lord, we ask that you would speak. We tell you we love you. We praise you, we worship you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Be sure this morning, Satan is not God. He wants to be, but he is not God. So what he does is he imitates God. He perpetrates to be God. He tries to go around and he tries to masquerade as God. And if God is the truth, the way that he does that then is through the lie. We need to understand that. The the, the way that Satan operates is through the lie. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. 
Satan is a fraud. Well, in our chapter today, that is made exceedingly clear. As we move through our chapter today, we're going to see that is very clear. In our chapter, the 13th chapter, we're going to find today a false trinity. We're going to find a false hope. We're going to find and hear a false gospel, and we're going to see a false church. And all of that is built upon the pr promotion of lies. This week, I start to look at this chapter, and there's a lot of stuff in this chapter, and every week when we come at this time, and I, I think uh, in this study of the book of Revelation, the, the best way to get started is just to jump in and start. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to jump in and go. And so here we go with the first verse, verse by verse. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. All right, now, the dragon we know from last week, that is Satan. That is the devil himself. As chapter 12 has ended, we find that he is set out to make war. I'm going to go back to chapter 12, the 17th verse, and I'm going to read that for our context. So the dragon was enraged with the woman. The woman is Israel. And went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so chapter 12 ends, and Satan, the dragon, he is set off to wage war. Well, understand chapter 13, it is going to now tell us how he goes about that, how it is that he wages war. Here in the first verse, John sees the dragon. He sees Satan. He is on a seashore. John sees coming out of the sea a beast. Now just listen to the words here. A beast, as expected, is vicious. A beast is aggressive. A beast is a predator. It seeks to devour. Now this beast we're going to see is the Antichrist. This is the false Christ. Now understand he will be a major portion, a major player in the rest of the days that we're going to study. And so this is the Antichrist. It says, he comes out of the sea. Now there are many who try and discern the source of his origination. Now, they're trying to figure this out. Some say the sea is the Mediterranean Sea, and so they believe he's going to come somehow out of that region. Uh, others say that the sea is a literal sea. And so this beast, the Antichrist, is going to come from the water. Somehow it's going to originate out of the water. Uh, some say the sea represents the sea of Gentile people or the massive sea of Gentiles, out of the Gentile people. Uh, others still say the sea represents the abyss or, or the evil abyss. Now, I'll just tell you this. Uh, we're not exactly sure. Uh, I believe perhaps it is a combination of the last two. I believe uh, he is a Gentile, and I also know that he comes at the call of and the plan of Satan, the devil himself. And so as Satan stands on the seashore, as the beast comes up, this is the plan and the call of Satan himself. He gives us his description. He has ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems or crowns. 
Also on his heads, the Bible says, there are blasphemous names. Now that is quite the description. You read just this first verse and you wonder what we're looking at here. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep, but let me give you a a brief rundown. Uh, The ten horns represent ten kingdoms or perhaps ten specific kings of those kingdoms. Uh, These kings, they will serve Satan. They will rule under his leadership and direction, and they will be empowered by him. The seven heads, these are the seven empires of world history. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the last will be the empire of the last days, which I believe will be a revival of sorts of the old Roman empire. And so that's what that represents. It says, on his head also were blasphemous names. Now understand, these are names that slander God. These are names that lie about God. I think about this. Many leaders throughout history have often claimed to be God. They've often claimed to be gods themselves. And that is the ultimate source, I believe, of blasphemy. And so perhaps these titles, they are themselves claiming to be a God. All right, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now again in the second verse, there are many that try to discern these parts. Uh, There is some help, I believe, in the book of Daniel. But I will just tell you this morning, all of these animals listed, uh, they are predators. All of these animals that are listed, they are are fierce. I believe the most important part of verse 2 is the last line. It says this, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. See this this morning, the Antichrist, he is a man, we're going to find that later, He evidently is some sort of a political or politician, maybe in nature. And here we see in this verse, he is empowered by Satan. Now, we need to think about that. This, the Antichrist, it says he is given his place, he is given his position, and he's given his power by Satan himself. And so understand, he is an ambassador of Satan. He is the agent of of Satan. That's who the Antichrist is, verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Evidently, this Antichrist, this false Christ, will be killed somehow and again come to life. Now, I'm not sure the specifics of that. It may be real. Uh, It may be a deception, it may be faked and just appears that, but whatever it is, the world sees it and the world believes it and the world worships him. Let's go to verse 4. Let me read verse 3 again. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? Now, I want you to see this as we pause here after verse 4. 
there is in this account a death and a resurrection. In this account, there is the praise for Satan because of the work of the Antichrist. What the Antichrist does brings praise to Satan. There's also, the verse tells us, praise for the Antichrist because of his great demonstration of power. I want you to see that. Be sure and see that this morning. They are imitating God the Father. They are imitating Jesus the Lamb who was slain. And it says, and the world says, who is like him? Isn't that the worship that we know is due of the one true God? Who is like the Lord our God who has done such mighty works? They are imitating God the Father and Jesus the Lamb who is slain. And the Bible says here, and the world worshiped the beast, and the world worshiped the dragon. Now, I want you to imagine that. Can you imagine that? Full of evil, full of murder, full of hate, and the world worships and exalts Satan. That's what we find at the end of that verse. Can you imagine that? The world is found, and they are in worship of Satan. Verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words, and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. All right, 42 months, we find that again. Now, that is 1,260 days. That is also times and time and half time, or that is three and a half years, these 42 months. This is referring to the second half of the tribulation period. Uh, it tells us of this Antichrist, he will be a listened to speaker. He will be a persuasive speaker. Let's move to verse 6. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in the earth. He tears down the truth of God. He tears down and he disparages the glory of God. He exalts himself in the process. He is arrogant. He is a self-promoter, tearing down the truth of God. All right, verse 7. It was, given all, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Here in verse 7, this Antichrist does what every dictator of history has sought to do. He actually subdues the rule world and rules over the entire world. His opponents, we find, are killed. His dominance is felt in every region to every tribe, and he actually rules the entire world. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Let me read verse 8 again. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. These verses together, they tell us of the reality of those days. They warn of the persecution that will expand and stretch out during 
that time. It tells us here, only those in Christ will persevere. All right, from here we have the plan of how he's making war so far. The plan continues forward in the 11th verse. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. All right, it says there is now another beast. Uh, as a beast, understand this beast is also vicious. This beast is also a predator ready to devour. Now, when you hear the description in the 11th, in the 11th verse, it doesn't appear as gruesome to me as does the description of the first beast. But understand, do not be fooled by that. His nature is still the same. Uh, his nature is still that of a beast. It says here he has two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. Many believe that the reference now to coming up out of the earth reveals the fact that this beast will be of Jewish descent. It, it, it follows as he's going to seek to deceive the world, but also mostly the, the Jewish people, that he comes out of the Jewish nation. He's going to be of Jewish descent. Now, the fact that he has only two horns shows that he is less powerful than the first beast. All right, let's look at verse 12. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, beast whose fatal wound was healed. All right, here in verse twelve, the first beast is the antichrist. Now understand this: the second beast introduced to us here, this is the false prophet. It says this false prophet is the one who points to the Antichrist, who exalts and leads in the worship of the Antichrist. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. A false Christ needs a false herald, and a false gospel needs a false preacher of that gospel. And so that's what we find here. We have a false Christ, and now we have a false prophet pointing to that false Christ. We have unfolding a false gospel, and we have a preacher of that false gospel. This is the false prophet, and he leads the world to worship the false Christ. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. This false prophet, and the Bible tells us here, he can do signs and wonders. He can do marvelous things, miraculous things, even calling fire down to validate his claims. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Satan, the dragon, acts as a false god. The Antichrist acts as a false Jesus, uh, the Lamb, even copying his resurrection. And now the false prophet, I want you to think about who he is imitating. He is imitating the Holy Spirit of God. Now think about this. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit points 
to Jesus. Well, now here in, in this 13th verse, we have a false godhead of liars. Now we have complete in the 13th chapter, a trinity of deceivers. We have a fraudulent trio of those that would like to be God, but the best that they can do is lie about God. And so this false trinity, understand, make no mistake, they are not God. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Listen to verse 14 again. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs, the miracles, which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. False worship always loves a statue. You ever notice that? False worship always loves a statue. And whether it is a golden calf or an Asherah pole or the likeness of Baal or the silver statues of Artemis in the book of, of Ephesians, it is why God said you shall have no graven images. False worship always likes a statue. Do you know impotent holders of false power? They like a statue as well. Countless are the Caesars who commission their own statues. And Stalin and Lenin and Castro and John Un and Hussein, they all did the same thing. Understand here, we now have the false prophet and he encourages those on the earth to build an image of the false Christ, an image to worship and a monument to revere. Verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now listen to that. I'm not sure what satanic power that is, but the statue at least appears to breathe. It may be breathing. I kind of doubt that, but it at least appears to be breathing. Uh, it says not only that, but in, in some sort of satanic power, the statue is able to speak out. And the things that it says entices murder and rage against those uh, who do not who follow Jesus Christ. And so here is this statue, and it appears at least to breathe. It is able to speak out, and the words that it utters incites murder and rage. Verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. These verses tell us that he calls for or he causes those worshiping the beast to take this mark. It's either going to be on their right hand or it's going to be on their forehead. Now understand what that means. It is a visible sign. 
It is an identifying mark showing that you belong to this now community of deceit. It's not something you would cover up. It's not something to be hidden, but it is for identification purposes. When it is seen, it shows that you now belong to this community of deceit. It shows that you bought the lies of Satan and of his ambassador. Your participation, the verse tells us, in the very culture is going to require it. You're not going to be able to trade. You're not going to be able to go to the store. You'll not be able to sell your goods or buy goods. You won't be able to go to dinner in a restaurant unless you have this mark. See this. In this verse, there is now a false church. Now, this false church, they're not marked by their love for Jesus. They're not marked by their obedience to Jesus, but they are now marked by a sign. There is a community marked by a sign, and it's a sign of deception, even their own deception. Verse 18, here is wisdom, John says. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding Calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. He's a man. And his number is 666. John says here in the 18th verse, notice this, uh, remember this, mark this down. To know the identity of the man, to be able to identify the Antichrist, his number will be 666. Now let me tell you what we do know. We know the number six is one less than the number of perfection. It is the number of incompletion. We know that. Uh, after that, we know this number has come to be known as the mark of evil. It is the mark of the beast. We know from that that we should shun it and reject it because of its meaning. But let me just tell you this. After that, we're not sure of its exact meaning. Now, again, this is another place where many people try to figure it out. And they say these numbers match the first nine letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so they try to put together some initials or maybe some word. Others try to match it to birth dates. Others try to match it to dates in history. Understand, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're not sure of that exact meaning. I believe that in that day, when the knowledge is necessary, those that need it will understand it and they will recognize it and so that is why John records it here. Be sure, here is wisdom. Here is the number to identify the Antichrist. All right, we're going to stop right there this morning. We're going, to, we're going to stop here at the end of the 13th chapter. Here's the question today. Listen very carefully. What does this mean to us today? And here we are, we're going through this study. And here we are, and I believe God is speaking, and I'll tell you, as, as clear as he's ever spoken to this church, he is speaking through his word. But the question then becomes, as we hear that, what should we carry away from that? You wondering that? I hear these descriptions. I wonder about that. What does this mean to us today? Let me be honest with you. I'm not going to be here for any of that. There's folks today and they wonder, well, I wonder if the pressure to get the mark is going to be too great. Listen, I, I, it won't be for me because I'm going to be raptured and I'm going to be with Jesus. So the question then becomes, so what does this mean? So what do we do with this? And I, I want to tell you, it means something to us today. What does it mean for us today? Two things, and here's what we're going to take out of this message today. Two things. The first is this. Listen very carefully. 
If the enemies of God are masters of the lie, if the enemies of God are preachers of the lie, then listen to me, friends, we had better know the truth. Do you hear what I said? If the enemies of God are masters of the lie, if they are preachers of the lie, then we had better know the truth. Friends, it is a non-negotiable. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about God's word, the word of God. We have to hear it. We have to study it. We have to read it. We have to know it. We have to memorize it. We have to use it. In a day of lies, when the enemies of God are liars themselves, we had better know the truth. You look at the day we're living in, and folks come along today and they're peddling newly packaged versions of the same lie. It's the same lie, but it's new packages of it. And I want to tell you, as we hear those lies, as we see the things that are non-truth, God's people need to rear up and they need to call what it is. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not of God. Friends, we better know the truth. You better know the truth. You know what? Well, I bring my kids and I drop them off at church. Listen, that's not going to get it. When I come here the best I can, maybe two or three times a month, friends, that's not going to get it. We have to know the truth of the word of God. You do and I do. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Listen very carefully. You had better be sure your name is in that book of life. And I don't, I don't know. I read, I read the, the accounts we're going through. And I, I, I want to tell you, here's the deal. You better be sure your name is written in that book of life. And you sit there and say, well, it was written down before the foundation of the world. What can I do about that? That's what the Bible says. It's written down before one act of creation. What can I do about that? You listen to me very carefully this morning. Whose names are written in the Lamb's book? And listen, it's his book. It tells us that. That's whose book it is. It's in his blood. Whose names are written in the Lamb's book? Those names who are in it. Now listen, God knew before he even formed one thing, before he did one act of creation, he knew it. But those whose names are in it, listen, they are those who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who heard the good news of Jesus Christ, who turned from their pride and their arrogance and their sin, who turned away from the lies of Satan and who have turned to Jesus, the truth, calling him their Lord and their Savior. The Bible says, and everybody else is going to perish. You want to know whose name are written in that book? Those who have trusted Jesus as the remedy for their sin and have claimed him as Lord. Listen to me. His grace to you is offered right now. Listen, turn to Jesus. Trust Jesus right now. Turn to Jesus. Trust Jesus. There's an old song, an old hymn. One of the lines of it says, only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. I'm going to tell you what we're supposed to carry away from this is this. There's only hope in Jesus. And this sorry world's very quickly spinning into destruction. There's only an answer in Jesus Christ. And the, the call of this scripture, the fact, the call of all scripture is this. Friend, if you'll turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you right now. He'll restore you right now. He'll renew you right now. He'll redeem you right now, not of any effort, any work that you're going to have to muster or put together. In the finished work of Jesus, he'll save you right now. 
Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He'll save you right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Green Father, we come, and I'm thankful for this truth. As hard as it is to understand, as mind-blowing as it is, if we do understand it, I know we have a Savior, we have a King, we have a Lamb. The truth, as if slain, but liveth yet again. Lord, I'm thankful for that Lamb. I'm thankful that through His blood there's the forgiveness of sin. Through His blood we wear His regal robes of righteousness, not of, not of any work that we ever did, but in His grace, His work. Lord, I pray as we conclude today, I pray for us first, that do know you, those that are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that we would take your word and we would consume it, we would read it, we would consider it, we would talk about it. We would know it, and when the false comes, whatever shape that comes in, that we'll be able to stand and say, here's the truth, here's God's word. And then I pray for those that do not know Jesus, and they're sitting here in the weight of their sin, the shame of their sin, the regret of their sin. I pray, Lord, that they hear today there's good news Forgiveness of sin in Jesus. And I pray any hindrance to them receiving you would be removed and that they've heard your truth, your word, that today they turn to you. Lord, we are thankful that when we see a false trinity of murder and hate and division, we also know we have a trinity of peace and unity and love and grace. And we praise you for that. Lord, we Tell you we love you. We lay this out before you. We ask in this time of invitation that you would work, that you would speak. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And it, it truly is the point to everything we've done this week, to, to the preaching of this message, and that is this. There's a Savior, and he loves you. If you'll turn to him today, he'll save you. If you're here and you'd say, well, I've, I've heard that a hundred times. I've never done that myself. I've heard that a hundred times. I've got questions I'm not sure about. Listen, friend, let's settle that today. Or maybe you're here and you say, what? that's the first time I've ever heard, ever heard that. That's the first time it's ever made sense to me. It doesn't matter. You come today. Let's settle that today. Trust Christ. He'll save you today. There's hope in Jesus today. Just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if that's you, and if that's speaking of you, and you're ready to say, what? I'm sick of my sin, tired of the regret of it, tired of the weight of the guilt of it. Today I'm going to claim Jesus as my remedy for sin. You come and we'll, we'll settle that today. I'll show you what God's word says. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come as well and together we'll carry his banner. We'll lift up his name until he comes back again for us. Maybe you're here and you've, you've made a decision. You've trusted Christ. Maybe it was recently. Maybe it was some place further back in time, but you've never followed in believer's baptism as, as Katie did this morning testifying to what we believe of Jesus. You come, and we'll set a date, and it'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to the truth of our Savior Jesus. Maybe at this time you want to come pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. And maybe nobody knows what you're dealing with. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask that Norman stir around or head for an exit as we go into this time of invitation that you'd pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, if you have a question, you come. Let's settle it today. As we stay in the scene, you come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.